you open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, we're going to meet in a couple portions in Matthew, first in Matthew chapter 16. As we come to our theme this year, here it is, our theme for this year is Be Disciples, Make Disciples. Our desire in this is, and in this message this morning, is to not fully extrapolate all that a disciple is, all the disciple does, but it's to get us started in our thinking of, of what is a disciple, who is a disciple, and what should a disciple do? Just from the very basic level, from the very starting point, what are we supposed to do as disciples of Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked yourself why you are here? Not in the existential way of like, why am I on planet Earth? But why are you here at, at Calvary this morning? Why do you wake up in the mornings and get dressed up and come to church each and every Sunday? Why do you do that? I'm guessing it has to do with something about being a disciple. And what we're here to do as well, what is a disciple? Well, there's a few quotes out there. Um, everyone seems to have their, their particular slant on what a disciple, but disciple is basically a learner. It's just more, most simply a learner, a follower of a teaching, a follower of, the, of a person. John Piper says a disciple of Jesus is a worshiper, a servant, and a witness. R.C. Sproul says, uh, one who directs his mind towards specific knowledge and conduct. John MacArthur says, every Christian is a disciple. Matthew 16, what is a disciple? We need to be disciples. Point number one, be disciples, Matthew 16. In the context of this passage, in verse 13, we find Jesus asking his disciples what other people are saying about him. He's been in ministry for two and a half years or so, and so he's having a lot of miracles. There's been a lot of things that, that he has done, a lot of healings, a lot of teachings, and he's getting to the end of his time on earth, and he says, okay, who are people saying that I am? They mentioned peop that people have been saying that he's John the Baptist, which is kind of odd because they're both alive at the same time. John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus, so that's kind of odd. Um, Elijah, some said Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He then looks to his disciples, the people who have been following him around, listening to his teachings, seeing the works that he has done. They said, who do you say that I am? Peter responds there in verse 16, he says, abruptly and quickly, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Blessed are you. Just a few verses later, we get down to verses 21 through 23. Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's going to die, he's going to suffer and die and rise from the dead. And then Peter quickly and abruptly, once again, after just claiming, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, what does he do? He says, it says that he took Jesus aside, in verse 22, and began to rebuke him. Did any of you dare to rebuke the Christ, the Son of the living God? Wow, that's bold. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. For you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. <laughs> Just a matter of a few verses here that Matthew is trying to portray to us 
that Peter went from, blessed are you, Peter, <laughs> that's right, right on, to then, get behind me, Satan. That is a, uh, a very far cry from the first statement that Jesus made about him, blessed to you, blessed are you. Peter was one of his disciples, a close follower of Jesus. He got some things right, he got some things wrong, didn't he? And so as Matthew is portraying this, this story to us, he then starts in verse 24, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's explaining to them, okay, maybe in this, this perception that we have in the text here of, okay, he got it right, and he got it wrong. Here's what I'm wanting for you. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, if you are going to follow me, here's what it is. Not just getting the right answers, not just getting the wrong answers. He says this in verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning. Help us to see ourselves for who we are, to understand the gravity of our sin, to know how we fall short in every way. But in Christ, we can be a disciple. In Christ, we can be a follower of Jesus. And in Christ, we can be redeemed and paid for. And in Christ, we can go and, and make disciples. Help us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So we need to be disciples. And being disciples, we are to deny yourself. That's what it says first, deny yourself. And what does that mean to deny yourself? Some of you might be sitting in here and thinking, I, am, I know I'm not a disciple. I know I'm not a follower of Christ. I, I, or maybe you're in the, the category of, I think I am. I'm not quite sure. You don't really fully understand what this disciple, what this follower of Christ would be. He begins to explain it here in this text of denying himself. Do you realize that your sin is deserving of eternity in hell? It only takes one breaking of the law to condemn you, to condemn me. With the weightiness of that sin and that payment, as it says in Romans 6.23, that the wages of our sin is death. We can't go on just living for ourselves and be able to call ourselves a disciple of Jesus. We have to first repent of our sins, turn away from that, and turn to Christ. We must renounce our old way of living. We must say, this way leads to eternity in hell. This way leads to destruction. This way leads to difficulty. It says in Proverbs, the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the sinner is hard. This way of living for myself is not cutting it. There's got to be something else. If you are going to be a disciple, if you are going to be saved from your sins, you have to first recognize how sinful you are. You must say, I need to deny myself, turn away from that sin. And we pray that God will open your eyes to that realization that you need to turn from your sin, to deny yourself. In Romans 6.6, 6, for those who are disciples, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So for the, the follower of Christ, the disciple, we need to realize that the old self is crucified. 
Repentance is, at the core, turning away from sin towards Christ. We once were pursuing and loving ourselves. We once loved the world and all it had to offer. But when we come to Christ, when we are denying ourselves, we are turning to start pursuing Christ. Look at the difference between loving the world and loving God. It can't go together. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's a a difference between just being somebody who likes a little bit of Jesus into my life. I'll add a little bit of that, a little sprinkle of Jesus, make me feel good. And those who are truly denying themselves to follow Christ. There's a book out called Not a Fan by Keitel Eidelman. I recommend this book to you. He describes the difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. And we can see that in the Gospels very clearly, where the difference between the masses that came for a free meal, right? Jesus feeding the 5,000, they're like, this is nice. I can get free stuff out of it. Maybe he'll heal my, my sick friend. Maybe he'll help me out in some way. The difference between them and the difference between them and his close disciples. He says in his book here, he says, fans don't mind Jesus doing a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants complete renovation. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus wants to interfere with their lives. When Jesus calls you to be a disciple, he's not saying that if you have the time or whenever it feels good in the moment for you to do it, then you can be a disciple. It's not just a little touch-up work. If I just maybe go to church, then maybe some things in my life will get straightened out a little bit. Maybe I'll kind of smooth out some of my rough edges. Jesus wants a complete renovation. It's a complete denial of yourself, your whole way of living before Christ. It's denying all of that to follow him. He wants the renovation. He wants uh, not just to inspire, and there's so many people at churches, probably even this morning, so many churches across America that are just going to that church so they, they can feel good about something. Maybe about what they're doing. Maybe about feeling good about whatever it is that the pastor might preach on that morning and just feel good I did the right thing by going to church in the morning. That's not what Jesus is asking here. He's saying deny yourself. Repent, turn away from your sin. And this is for those who are in Christ as well. It's a daily denial of self. And we all understand this dynamic in our life where uh, we feel that tension, that spiritual warfare between my flesh wanting to do this sin, but knowing that Christ has called me to deny that and wanting to go the other way. And we feel that every single day. If we think this is a bit extreme in order to become a disciple... Look what Jesus says in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It's a shocking statement. Now, he's not calling you to literally go and hate your family members. He's saying in comparison to your love for me, he said it has to look like you hate them. You have to be willing uh, to go away from those family members who are going to tell you that you're crazy for following Jesus. He's like, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, you have to be willing to let go of those closest relationships around you because they're not going to get it. 
They're not going to understand. You have to be willing to let them go if you're going to follow closely after me, if you're going to be my disciple. Because in that passage, there are people who are like, yeah, I want to come follow you, but I have something else got, I have going on first. I have some other things happening I need to take care of. Then I'll come follow you. And Jesus said, sorry, that's, that's not how it works. If you are going to follow me, you have to let go of your old way of living. You have to deny yourself. It's impossible for the disciple of Jesus Christ to go about his old manner of life without anything changing. So we deny ourselves. And then we take up our cross. Let's think together what Jesus meant by take up his cross. What would that mean to those disciples who heard that? We know that the cross is um, a means to an end. It's the most painful way, the most shameful way, uh, the most difficult way that will end up in certain death, punishment of a criminal. The cross was meant for criminals. Jesus says you have to be willing to take up your cross. You have to be willing to endure mockery. You might have to be willing to endure pain and suffering. It's possible that even certain death, we know story after story of many missionaries in other countries that have taken up their cross knowing that certain death was awaiting them for standing up for Christ. Are we willing to do that? Do we understand that that's what Jesus is calling to? A denial of ourselves and then taking up this cross, as Paul says, um, that we're willing to um, know, that we want to know him and the power of his resurrection, that we might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Do we want to share in those sufferings? Follower of Christ, disciple, do you desire to share in the sufferings of Jesus? Do you want to become like him in his death? It's where a lot of gospels out there might say, oh, just follow Jesus, it'll be nice and wonderful. Your life will just be improving and nothing will go wrong. Is that what Jesus says? Jesus promises persecution for those who are in Christ. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. When we had the baptisms this morning, they were publicly identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. The symbol of going into the water, the death of Christ, and the burial being under the water, and then their favorite part, and my favorite part too, is bringing them up out of the water. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, he's alive. Now that wouldn't be good if I just left him under the water, would it? We wouldn't have too many baptisms here. But as they're publicly declaring saying, I want to be associated with Jesus, they're not just saying that for you all to know and say, oh good, they follow Jesus, but it's part of them taking up their cross and joining this local membership, this church, so that we as a body of believers, as disciples, are going to say, remember when you identified with Christ? It's possible that they might stray away, that they might, it's possible that they might sin past today. They will. And that's for us as believers, as members of this church, to point them back to this moment. When they publicly said, I believe in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. I have faith in him. That's how I have eternal life. That's who I'm living for. So that when they do stray away, whether it's a, a, a sin that you just have a nice, light conversation with, that you need to point them back to Jesus, or maybe it's a more difficult one, 
Now we point him back to that and say, remember when you said this? Remember when you identified with Christ and you said, I am willing no matter what the cost, I am a follower of him. Baptisms are so important because it helps us not just identify who knows Christ, but it helps us to be able to hold them accountable. Do you think that's an easy thing to do? (laughs) To stand up there and identify with Jesus in front of all of you? It's not an easy thing because not only is it that, but it's that accountability saying, I want you to hold me accountable to follow after Christ. And that's what we do in a loving, gracious way. And then he says, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. After you have denied yourself, after you have taken up your cross, then you are able to follow. If you're holding on to sinful patterns in your life, you can't follow Christ. If you're saying, I still want to do my own thing, then, I, then you're not able to really follow him. If you're saying, okay, I'll, I'll put my trust in Jesus, but I'm not going to stand out for him. I'm not going to do anything that other people will know that I'm following Jesus. I'm just going to kind of keep it to myself. You can't. You have to take up your cross. You have to be willing to put yourself out there saying, I follow Jesus. Let me ask you this you aren't a disciple, if you're not sure, what's holding you back? It's not a call to an easier life where everything's going to be wonderful for you. What's holding you back? For those of you who do know Christ, what's holding you back from being a close follower? Are there still sins in your life that you need to turn away from to continue to follow after him? And I pray that the everlasting peace and joy of Christ will overwhelm you so that you know that you have eternity with him. And I pray that the relationship of Jesus, your creator, will just overwhelm any other relationship that you have, that you're willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. That's what we were made for. We're created to be followers of Christ. Will you repent and turn to him now? And for those of us who are disciples, making disciples, making disciples of Jesus is the overflow of the delight in being disciples of Jesus. I love baptisms. I'm so encouraged by them. (laughs) And it's encouraging, especially even more so when you've had a part in their lives, (laughs) when you've been teaching them the word. I'm sure their, their parents probably feel that same joy, that same delight in seeing that as they have invested in their kids and to see them come to know Christ and, and having them come to church so they can be discipled, then to see that next step of their faith in the Lord and just, it, it's just a wonderful thing. It's a delight to make disciples. It's a, it should be a joy for us. It shouldn't be a burden. Shouldn't be like, oh man, now I have to do that. One more thing to do. We make disciples. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. In the context of this chapter, to go and make disciples, Jesus had already died on the cross, and spoiler alert, he rose from the dead. And now he's at the point where he's going to leave the disciples with his last words. We also find these words in, uh, other words in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. This is what's known as the great commission. As we've interviewed a number of different pastors in the search process, each one that we give out a questionnaire, we ask them, what's the purpose of the local church? 
What's your view on that? Each one of them have agreed with us <laughs> this. This is the purpose. This isn't just Calvary Baptist who thinks this is a good idea. No, this is the purpose of the local church. Matthew chapter 28. Now I want to ask you, would you have said the same thing? If I asked, came up to you and said, what's the purpose of this local church? What are we here to do? As disciples, what are we supposed to be all about? Matthew chapter 28, let's look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here we see this passage and we see the motivation. You see that up there. That first is called the motivation. Why are we going to go out and make disciples? Before we get this mission that God is going to, Jesus is going to send us on, why should we do it? Why should we listen to Jesus of all people? It's because he has all of the authority. And when somebody who has all of the authority is commanding us to do something, we should probably do it, right? We understand authority in our world. If a state trooper or police officer commands you to do something, it'd probably be wise for you to do that thing, right? We often get into trouble is when we, those who are in authority of us tell us to do something and we don't regard them as having authority. We say, yeah, that's a great idea, but I think I'm going to do something else. When students don't treat their teachers as having authority over them, it does not go well for that student. When kids don't respond well to the authority of their parents. It doesn't go well. If your boss at work tells you to do something, you're like, I don't think so. It's not going to go well for you. And here Jesus is with all authority and saying that I have all authority. It's one thing for the boss to say, hey, would you go and do this? It's another thing saying, him saying, as I have authority in your life, you go and do it. That adds a little bit more weight to it, doesn't it? And so Jesus is saying, with all of the authority I have, I am commanding you, disciples, to go and do this. In Colossians chapter 1, what is this all authority? Let's try to keep track of all these all words in this passage. He is the image of the invisible God, invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. With the authority of Jesus Christ, the creator of you, the creator of me, he is saying, go and make disciples. This doesn't sound like the suggestion anymore, does it? It doesn't sound like a nice thought or a, when I get the time, I'll get around to it. It sounds like a direct command for them to go and make disciples. And it's for us as well. We need to go and make disciples. Jesus called to them from the very beginning. When he called his disciples out of the boat, he doesn't say, hey, come follow me. And you're going to sit around, we're going to have some lessons. And then you kind of go back to your old life, it's fine. But we'll, we'll have some teaching times 
and just kind of show up every now and then and we'll, we'll talk about things. Now he says, as you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> so from the very beginning, he's saying, as you're going to be my disciple, I'm going to send you out to go and make other disciples. It's always been the plan. That's the mission. And who do we go and make disciples of? This mission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Everyone. There's no class or color or country that we are to exclude. The gospel is for all nations, for everyone. For whoever believes in the name of Christ will be saved. Everyone. So there's nobody in our life that we can say, ah, they, I don't think they'll ever trust in Jesus, so I'm not going to tell them. They're just, they're just too far gone. Or I don't really know them too well, so they don't, I'm not going to share the gospel with them. <clears throat> Excuse me. The gospel is for all nations. I'll admit that the going part is the hardest part for me. It's the going. Because um, I'm either at church or I'm at home. Those are really the two places that occupy most of my life. And it's very difficult for me to go out to find people who don't know Christ. But I have opportunities at Walmart every now and again when I fill up the cart full of soda to fill it up for the youth fridge. I mean, it's stacked nice and high. And I always get comments every time I go saying, are you thirsty? Like, yeah, good one. Um, it's like, you're going to have a party? Or, I mean, there's all sorts of comments that I get over the years. But if my mission, when people say those things to me, if my mission is to not be bothered, or just so I can just get to ministry, I need to get back to ministry, right? Then I'm going to be like, yeah, good one, <laughs> and I'll be on my way. But if my mission is taken from Jesus to go and make disciples, my response is going to be a little bit different, isn't it? I'm going to respond with, well, yeah, it's for our youth group at Calvary Baptist. Do you go to church anywhere? Just to start at least the conversation into spiritual things, to start in talking about Jesus, to at least direct my, my attention off of me and to focus on Christ. So many times I've, I've failed at that. Lord, help me to be on mission from God and not just a mission for myself. As I was visiting with Don Long's family this last week, one of the things that they mentioned that really stuck out to me as I was preparing for this message was that in all the illnesses that Don had, and he had a lot of physical struggles and lots of stays in the hospitals, uh, the family was telling me, they're like, every nurse that came in heard the gospel. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. He said they tried to share the gospel with everyone who came in or, or at least invite them to church or ask them if they go to church anywhere. It, it not necessarily was the whole gospel every time, but it was at least a gospel mission. He could have focused on himself, right? When you're in pain and you're at a hospital, they always ask you questions about you. How are you doing? It could have been easy to focus on this mess of living in a sin-cursed world and and having a body that is failing. It could have been easy to focus on all of that mess around him, but by him focused on Jesus. And they told me, he said once, maybe God has me in this hospital so I can share the gospel with somebody. Doesn't that sound like somebody who's on a mission from God? Somebody who has been discipled his entire life 
to be at that point when people could easily just focus the attention on him where he's turning towards trying to go and make disciples no matter where he's at. Praise the Lord for people in our church who focus on the mission rather than the mess. We need that mission in our lives. The church, the next is the execution of it. We'll go to the next one slide here. Baptize, how do we do this? How do we do this go and making disciples? It does start with sharing the gospel. We have to share the gospel. We have to tell people about how they can be saved. But once they know Christ, and we, then we baptize them as we did this morning and then start teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded. Everything. That might seem very daunting. <laughs> That's a lot. Jesus talked about a lot of things. But the baptism is a one-time action Showing they know Christ, the teaching is an ongoing relationship. So he says in Matthew chapter 22, I don't think I have it up there, sorry. It says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we start very basic with love God and love others. Can we get that down? I think we all can memorize that. And there we are teaching them everything that God has commanded. Everything that Jesus has said can be boiled down and love God and love others. But we need a little bit more than that too. As we don't just stop there, we start learning more details behind it. And this is why we have our ABFs, our Wednesday night studies, Sunday nights, so that we can begin to teach you all. So we can begin to help you learn all that Jesus has commanded. Do you realize it took me 18 Sundays to get through a book that only has four chapters? Can you imagine how long it would, go, it would take to go through 1,189 chapters of Scripture? A long time. I did the math. 91 years. Okay? So, we cannot be content and just coming to a service like this and thinking, I'm going to get it all. <laughs> Unless you plan to live for a very long time. That's why I implore you, come to ABFs, come to Wednesday nights, and even our Sunday night service. So that we can learn together, we can grow more. You need to be studying the Bible on your own. You need to be opening up your Bible when you get home. So you can learn all that God has commanded. We can't be content with just one Sunday and then I'm good. Remember, that's not what a disciple is, saying, I'll just get my, my church, get, just get my Jesus on Sunday, and then I'm going to do what I want the rest of the week. That's not what a disciple is. We must come, we must hear, we must learn, be students, and we must teach others. We need the word of God, we need to learn it as we are making disciples so we can learn all that God has commanded. Mark Dever's book called Discipling, How to Help Others Follow Jesus, he says this, Churches don't need programs so much as they need cultures of discipling. Cultures where each member prioritizes the spiritual health of others. So it's not just about our programs. It's not just about coming to this service or that one. That's not what it's all about. That's not how we're going to fulfill this great commission of making, going and making disciples. It's about each one of us prioritizing the spiritual health of others by looking how we can teach one another, how we can encourage one another, 
That's what I love about Sunday night service as we dive a little bit more deeply into, um, into the text, talk about other aspects of the morning message, and as we just talk together about how this can be fleshed out in our lives, how we can observe all that Jesus has commanded. There's so many times where people say things as we have the interaction where I'm like, I never would have thought of that. That was really helpful. I'd, my mind wasn't going that direction, but that was really good. That's helpful to the body to hear from one another the wisdom that God has given you from studying the word to share it with one another. Let's prioritize the spiritual health of others. And then the equipment at the very end here. As we close things up this morning, have you ever watched those Mission Impossible movies? I love, the, I love the gadgets. That's like my favorite part. They come up with all sorts of amazing things. They have gadgets for uh, face masks and the devices open any lock or super small listening devices. It's just a, a lot of fun to, to look at those things. But when Jesus is talking about equipment, how are you going to be able to do this? How are you? This great commission. This is a lot. Jesus is commanding us. He's saying, you have to do this. All authority is given me, and I'm telling you to go and do this thing. And here's what you're going to do. Baptize and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. That could be really overwhelming. Can you imagine if Jesus said, all right, good luck. You're on your own. That'd be demoralizing for those disciples as they're standing there like, oh, it's just on us to evangelize and witness to the whole world and get the gospel out there. Like, yeah, I can do that on my own. Jesus says, no, I am with you to the end of the age. That's all the equipment you need. You might be worried about how you're going to sound to somebody while sharing the gospel with them. Will I say all the right things? And uh, we got this track uh, last Sunday morning in ABF that we're working through. What if I get the pictures wrong? Or what if I, like, we might be worried about some of the equipment that we have and not saying all the right stuff. Jesus is with you. He's the one who has the power to save. All the other tools that we're using is just a way to help us to present the gospel. Those are very helpful things, but really, Jesus is the one that saves. It's not you. It's not your clever words that you're going to come up with. It's the power of Christ to work in the hearts of individuals for them to see their need to be saved. Maybe you're concerned, I don't know if I'm equipped to teach third graders or fifth graders, I don't know if I know enough or can do that. Jesus is with you. Jesus has called you to do something. Don't you think he's going to equip you to be able to do that? He is. He doesn't call us to anything that he knows that is impossible for us to do. He's like, here, do this, and you'll never be able to do it. No, he says, go and make disciples. I am with you. He gives us the strength he gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish what God has set out for us. Joshua 1.9, Niall's favorite verse here. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? God is setting Joshua on a quest uh, to conquer the land of Canaan, and there's going to be lots of trials coming his way. So what does he remind him before he sends him out? He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's about God. It's about the power of God. In 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, for God gave us a spirit 
the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us as disciples, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Is your Savior powerful enough to overcome any of your insecurities, any of your inabilities, as you're sitting and thinking maybe, I can't do that? Do you think the power of Jesus Christ is able to overcome maybe your inadequacies? Mine? Absolutely. Jesus is with you. We must be disciples. If you don't know Christ, I I just encourage you, you can right now turn from your sin. Say, my way of living is going to lead towards eternity in hell. You can turn from that this morning, take up your cross and start following Jesus. With what the guys said this morning of believing in Jesus Christ as the full payment of your sin, rising from the dead, putting your faith in him, you can be saved. This morning, you can become a disciple of Jesus. And if you want to talk with me afterwards, I would love to talk to you. But you don't need me (laughs) to be saved. You need Christ. And then as we are being disciples, as we are continually following after Christ, continually to learn and grow in Christ as we meet together, then we need to go out and make disciples. We need to go out and share the gospel People aren't going to come to know Christ just because we have a cool event going on. People aren't going to come to know Christ um, just because uh, we have this, this flashy, wonderful thing happening. People are going to come to know Christ because you and I are going to go out and share how they can be saved. We're going to share the gospel with them. That's how people come to know Christ. So we need to go out and we need to make disciples. He has called us to do this. He's equipped us. He has given us the power of Christ in us to be able to go and do what he's commanded. So let's go and do it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this is a huge task in front of us. It's difficult to be a disciple. It's not always easy in the life that we have in front of us. There are trials of various kinds. We know that you are with us. We know that we are with us and it's worth it to live a life for you. Help us to go out and share this joy, share the the wonderful good news of Christ with others so that people might be saved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.